Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Hmm. I went back to the half and half, and it's so much better. Such a richer flavor, especially with no sweetener in there. Very important to get this honed. Uh, today is Friday, February 28th. Last day of February for all intents and purposes. Not counting our bonus day. Bonus day. <sighs> Those were literally my first sips, so I'm still feeling a little drowsy here. <clears throat> it looks like a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Very sunny, clear skies, and still the wind sculpture isn't moving at all. In fact, I considered going to sit outside, and I went to look, and it's 28. <laughs> so it's probably <coughs> my mother's like rolling her eyes and groaning. Probably not quite warm enough yet. So. Still going strong on the Promised Queen. Got another 3,000 words yesterday. Knock on wood. I will hit, um, I'll hit over 16,000 words this week because of little overages. I kind of, I don't go exactly up to 3,000 words and stop, although I don't go much past it. But counting other little scraps of things I've written, it's... Maybe about 16,000 words, so that's good. I'd like to get back to about 15,000 a week, see if I can keep that going. Uh, I like the book. I was, I'm feeling very superstitious at this point. Why is it going so well? <laughs> but there we are. I've gotten several really gratifying comments Um about my thoughts on not going on the internet before writing. Some of my writer friends have been doing it. Uh, Adriana Anders posted her word count yesterday and said, I feel like I owe this to Jeffy Kennedy. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so awesome. Um, it totally works, right? Amazing. Uh, it's not easy, but it's also, you know, compared to some other things that we try, to up our word count. It's um, a really straightforward discipline. It's just something that is, um, you know, requires the breaking of habits. I read an article yesterday, part of an article. No, I guess I did read the whole thing uh, in the New Yorker <clears throat> that was apparently published a couple years ago, but it was a, a bit maybe an extraction of something, and that's why I felt like I only read part of it. But it was an essay by Oliver Sacks about the smartphones causing a neurological catastrophe. Excuse me. A neurological catastrophe, I believe, is how he put it. Um, <laughs> you know, not to mince words. <clears throat> and so I've been kind of following this line of reasoning and interested in it. I read that. The New Yorker lures me in with their Instagram 
which to me, you know, it's interesting because I, I am obviously a child of my era. I am much more likely to go read a New Yorker article via an Instagram post than I will if the paper magazine is sitting there. Sometimes my mom would give me her New Yorkers and say, oh, you should read this article. And I would like never get around to it. But on my phone, I do. What does that say? Anyway, I've long admired Oliver Sacks. I have several of his books. Uh, he is, for those who don't know, a neurologist and wrote a lot of interesting, I think um, actually a practicing doctor, practicing MD in neurology. And he wrote several, I'm not sure how many, but I've like two or three of his books. I'm sort of scanning the shelf where they'd likely be and I don't see them offhand. They were never very thick, mostly collections of little essays like would appear in the New Yorker um, about various cases he had. Um, I know one of the books was called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, and another one was called Toscanini's Fumble. But they were about um, bizarre neurological cases or unusual neurological cases and what they told us about the brain. And of course I am a um, brain, I, I'm trying to think of what the word is. You know, I, I, I went into, I started to get my PhD in neurophysiology. I've always been fascinated by the brain and those kinds of things. So I enjoyed reading those essays. So I thought, oh, what does Oliver Sacks have to say about neurology and smartphones? And I was terribly disappointed. It was, um, I'm sorry, Oliver. And I believe he passed away. But maybe, I think maybe, I'm going to correct myself. I think that the essay was published in 2015 because it struck me that it was before Trump's election, which is like going to be the watershed for all, you know, like my lifetime probably. The <laughs> it wasn't that awful. Um, and then I think he died in 2017. So this was a reprint, but you know, it just ended up sounding, sounding like an old man's rant, um, shaking of the cane because he was also talking about the lack of steam trains anymore. And he was talking about people walking around only looking at their phones and unaware of their surroundings and what had happened to neighborhoods and community and people being aware of the place around them. And, and those of you who know me are, um, or who have followed this podcast for a long time, know that I really do, I really do react strongly to that particular type of rant because it's, it's so much from the perspective of the observer. You know, it's like all, you know, he looks and all he sees are people walking around staring at their phones. You know, and he said things about living in a virtual reality and not connecting with anyone, not communicating with anyone and, you know, what happened to community. And that's, <laughs> that's not, it's, it's, it's showing a complete lack of awareness of what's going on inside of that person's head and their perceptions, which is, is that they are intensely in time tied into a huge community, um, an international community in ways that we've never been capable of before. And I, it, it's just, um, 
I don't know. It, it, it becomes tiresome. And I think one of the things that I think is that I, I do not want to become that person. I already feel myself shaking my cane at some things. You know, you kids get off my lawn. You know, in my day, we, you know, and I know I talk about what it was like before the internet, but I think it's really important to remember how we thought and spent our time before we had the internet, before we had our smartphones. But at the same time, I in no way think that the smartphones are causing a neurological catastrophe. Uh, you know, maybe it was because this was excerpted, but I now have no desire to go read the rest. But I don't think he had, at least in this, he, he did not back that up in any way. He did not explain why he thought it was a neurological catastrophe. Very strong words. Uh, I do think that being on the internet too much, especially in the first few hours of waking, does change how our brains are wired, and that's what I've been experimenting with, and that's what I've been talking about. But having the community that we have, the ability to communicate with each other and exchange information that we have is is an incredible thing. Uh, one of the examples he used in this essay, and I was kind of laughing at it because he said that he'd been on a panel where someone had proudly said that his daughter surfed the internet 12 hours a day and that she had access to incredible amounts of knowledge. And Oliver Sacks asked him if she had read Jane Austen's novels, and the guy said no. And and Oliver Sacks said, well, you know, then, you know, she might have a lot of information, but she doesn't have knowledge. And he said half the audience cheered and the other half booed. And it's like, wait, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Jane Austen. I, I love Jane Austen's novels, but since when did she become the arbiter of human wisdom? And I really wondered how, how old this daughter was. Um. <laughs> you know, because you're not going to be reading Jane Austen before a particular age or it's not going to make sense. And arguably at some point, you know, the language becomes dense in a way that's not, doesn't lend itself to understanding anymore. And I know that probably some people are giving me shocked faces at the, uh, at your car stereo. <laughs> Sorry. But <clears throat> As much as I love Jane Austen's use of language, and I think that she's a genius storyteller, I think that that language becomes a barrier to people after a while. It's the same as like going back and reading Shakespeare and Milton. It's it's good for our brains to go exercise and do that, but it takes a while to sink back into that style of language. And I mentioned I've been reading The Golden Bough, which this is a compendium of Sir James Fraser's works and they've been compiled into one big book and this one was published in 1922 and I'm not sure if that's it certainly it's a functional date it doesn't matter like which version of what book but um you know the language is incredibly scholarly and academic and I really bridle at academic language I really dislike the use of jargon and intricate structuring when it seems to be there only to create the impression of erudition. Um, 
it's one of my things. It really is. And I, it's where I've come to at this point in my life because I did used to be very well sunk in academia. You know, I went to my prestigious liberal arts college and I went to graduate school in one of the more difficult sciences. And when I started out as a writer, I wrote essays and I was part of the the literary fiction scene, you know, the book festivals and people who would talk about things in the most complex way possible to show off their own intelligence. And so now when I get around people who are intent on demonstrating their intelligence and their taste and their ability to discern what is worthwhile and what is not, I'm, I'm just not interested. I, I have, um, I've moved so firmly away from that because I feel like it's not valuable. I don't think that's the point of us having intelligence. I don't think intelligence is about is about being able to understand dense language and to describe things in erudite ways. I think intelligence is about critical thinking. I think it's about ferreting out those things that give us joy. Very often, to me, academia seems to be antithetical to joy. They seem to be suspicious of joy, as if it is somehow demonstrating a lack of intelligence and discernment. You know, it's like, if you're happy, it's because you're too stupid to know better. I feel like that's a very strong ethic in there. I'm not sure where that came from. So anyway, uh, that was just... um, where I'm at, where I'm thinking about things. I guess that was kind of like a long and loopy uh, chain of thoughts. But I'm going to say that even though I love Jane Austen, I don't think that reading Jane Austen is the make or break for somebody having wisdom or knowledge. I think that like all things, and perhaps this is the persistent metaphor for human existence, that we have to be aware of our own creations becoming monsters, right? That's a a tale that is told over and over again. And I think that's where we're at with the internet and the smartphones, that it's a Having that is an amazing resource. The kind of information that we have access to is incredible. Um, David was fixing his chainsaw the other day, and he you know, did it watching a series of YouTube videos. And we were laughing about it because he, you know, we said, you know, what did we do before you could just pull up a YouTube video to figure out how to fix something? Um, I am friends with people across the world who I likely never would have met without the internet. So the assistant Kareem, we never would have met. Uh, you know, people can talk about having an epistolary relationship, but you know, that you'd have to meet the people first or have somebody to make contact with them. 
every time that we are at something and lose each other and manage to connect with people because we can text each other and say, where the hell are you? You know, we talk about that. What did we do? How did we navigate? You know, we got lost a lot. You know, and people can rhapsodize about the charms of getting lost, but it was also consumed huge amounts of time and caused huge frustrations. I'll tell you guys a story before I uh, sign off. This was in the 90s, and it was before we had cell phones. I resisted getting a cell phone for a long time. And um, a friend of mine had said, you know, you should get one. He said, you'll find that you'll you'll really use it a lot. And I said, yeah, I don't want to find out what I'll use it for. So David and I did not have them. We were living in Laramie, Wyoming, a fairly small town. And we went down to Greeley, Colorado for a meeting. And we were at, he was with one group of friends and I was with a different group of friends. And we were supposed to meet up. Um, my friend Jill was going to take us to the, you know, the Diamond Shamrock. And he would meet us there. And then I would ride back home up to Laramie with him. Two-hour drive. And so we were at the Diamond Shamrock at like 10 o'clock at night. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And <laughs> David never came. And she did not have a cell phone either. It didn't make any difference because neither did David. And so we finally went back to her house and I tried to call, but all I could do was call home. And I left message, a message on the answering machine saying, I don't know where you are. I don't know what happened. Um, and I spent the night on her couch. I slept on her couch. And he called her house at like midnight and he had just gotten home and he said I thought I went there and you weren't there so I figured you got a ride with someone else and I you know, like one of the other people heading back up I'm like no you left me in fucking Greeley Colorado two hours from home and he said well I'm going to sleep and I'll get up in the morning and come down and get you and he did he Came, you know, because we both had work in the morning too. So he got up at like four and drove down and picked me up by six. And we got back up, you know, got to work by like 8 30 because we had to change clothes or I had to change clothes. And at lunchtime, you know, and I was so mad at him. I was, oh, so mad. But, you know, it was one of those things where you can't stay mad too long because he felt so terrible about it. And obviously he, paid his penance, right, by having to get up and come get me. And so at lunchtime that day, he picked me up for lunch, and we went to this store that we'd never gone to before. It might have been the Verizon store. I'm like, what's this? And he said, we're getting cell phones. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and that was when I, I got my first phone. I got a BlackBerry. That BlackBerry did not work great, but... It worked for what it needed to, and it was an extraordinary device at the time. But anyway, you know, it's like those were the kinds of things that drive this creation, and it's obviously a much needed um, part of our lives, much as we rhapsodize about the, the joys of the simple life and so forth. I think I would never advocate for going back, you know, not having the Internet, not having our, you know, our tricorders that give us all the information we need. But... 
as with all creations, we need to uh, chain the monster, right? We control it, not have it control us. So on that note, I will wish you all a wonderful weekend. Um, enjoy your extra day tomorrow. Go do something delicious with your free day. I'll remind you that First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find other podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all on Monday. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.